can stay woke, you ain't gotta get woke. Welcome to the Woke Podcast, where we, as women of color, sit down to vent, rant, bullshit, and have authentic conversations. We're your hosts, Lexi and Chantrier. Let's get into today's episode. It's an episode special. Too. <laughs> <laughs> episode I feel like I need like a jingle. Like, oh, so this is a weird episode for us. We usually only do one a month. It is. You know, we were like, hey, we don't have anything to do for winter break. This is a, it'll be a good topic. Let's, let's do it. Yeah, I'm excited. So um, if you haven't listened to our last episode, um, it's a, it's a good one. I think it's a little more academic than we usually um, go for, but it is about the Iowa Housefile 802 um, using the critical lens of critical race theory and how it just impacts our work as diversity practitioners on higher education institution campuses. Um, but we are going to get into today's episode. So my bestie, what is on your beautiful chest today? <laughs> <laughs> so I came up with this idea after, you know, talking to my students over the past, uh, or like the class session after they got back from Thanksgiving break and hearing some of the conversations they were having to have with their family members and some of the maybe less than ideal ways they responded. <laughs> and so I thought, you know what? Why don't we talk about how to have tough conversations with your family members? You're going home for the holidays. Yikes. You know, you got that one, you know, <laughs> uncle or cousin, or maybe it's just the elders in your community who, who you know, don't know or aren't, you know, ready to have these conversations and say some questionable things yeah so how do we how do we talk about it yeah well i think you and i have a very unique positionality with this because us both being biracial individuals who reside predominantly in our white families Mm -hmm. i feel like we just grow up having to have these hard conversations (laughs) with our families um and so i think for me i think the, the hardest thing about it is my family definitely takes the colorblind approach to Mm, these conversations mm -hmm. um both my mom and my grandma are are their ideas that they just wanted to raise kids that love everyone right right which inherently isn't wrong like there's nothing wrong with that you want to raise really great people who you know see past differences right but understanding that in doing so you're totally ignoring conversations around race identity gender all of these things right? right Um, and so for me growing up in a household where not only me am I biracial, but a lot of my family is biracial. I mean, all my sisters are, my cousins are. Um, so I grew up having these hard conversations. (laughs) And I think for me is I didn't start having these conversations until I got into college and really understood what was going on in the world and how people who look like me were being oppressed. Mm -hmm. And so having to grow up in a family where you don't talk about these things, go to college, be exposed to them, and then come back and everyone looking at you like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. You're not the same person you know you were when we sent you to college. Now everyone thinks I'm brain- brainwashed. Like, no, babe. I just learned some critical thinking skills. And, and they're the ones who wanted you to go to college in the first place. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think it's, um, it's like you said, we've been having these conversations for a long time. Mm-hmm. I think, you know... My experience is slightly different in the sense of like, although my, the majority, not all, but the majority of my siblings are biracial, we're all my dad's kids. Right. And so in the context of my white family, I'm the only brown person. <laughs> <laughs> and so it, it, 
challenges things. It makes things a little, you know, I definitely have family members who think they can just get away with saying whatever they want because like they're my family and I'm like, we're not going to do that. That's not okay. And so it is hard to have these conversations. I think I've been having them more recently with like my mom and you know, but they're still hard. And I think it's hard too, because I don't know if you ever feel this way, but like I've really gotten sick and tired of like white people just like crying or like getting upset. And it's really hard to like monitor that as like the child or whoever I'm talking to in my family, because like I'm trying not to project how I feel about like dealing with white people in our cohort or like white people I work with or white people at the grocery store and realize that these are my family members and I don't necessarily want to like destroy our relationship but also I don't care that you're crying and that your feelings are hurt (laughs) um so that's been really hard for me and like trying to like still be empathetic to that yeah I think I think the number one thing that hits me when you say that is the first person I ever tried to have this conversation with wasn't actually my mother, which was interesting. It was my grandma. Oh. Um, and if you know anything about my grandma, she is, um, I wouldn't say she's old. She's like, you know, in her 60s. Like, for me, that's not super old. But so she's of older generation. And mm-hmm. to her, when you bring up things like race, it becomes political. Right. And for her, it is her belief that our love for our family should be should come before anything political Ooh. and while yes and no <laughs> because because my my very existence is political I right. think that is a thing but also I feel like I should be able to tell you my experiences without you thinking I'm trying to neg- trying to spew this narrative of some political alliance with a certain side you know what I mean and I think for me it's a little hard because not only am I speaking to my experiences but Diversity, equity, and inclusion is is the one thing I am most passionate about in my right. life. And so to not be able to to share that passion with my family makes it really hard for me. And I remember I like during Christmas time, me and my cousins always go over to my grandma's house for like games and like cookie decorating. And I was having this conversation with my grandma just about like my experiences and yada yada yada. And she looked at me and she said, "Well, when I look at you, I don't I don't see any of that." I just see Shauna. Yeah. And backstory, my name is Shantrae Taikwe Hogans. My white family renamed me Shauna May Kinsey, which is inherently in itself racist. Yeah, it is. (laughs) It is. It's problematic. But my grandma just saying that to me is you are insinuating that to me, you don't see my blackness, which means you're you're invalidating my experience as a black person. And while you might look at me and be like, oh, that's just my granddaughter. I have heard very racist, very sexist, very homophobic things in my family that like, while you might not be saying them to me or about me, you're saying them about people who look like me, Right. which me as a child internalizes that and thinks, okay, my blackness isn't good enough. So now I have to hide it. And so just having those conversations with your family where they just want to look at you as their family member. I love that for you because it shows that you love me. But I also need you to see my blackness and respect it. And so those are, those are, I think, the hardest conversations that I've had to have with my family is like putting aside personal and letting yeah. them know that like this is my experience, whether you like it or not. <laughs> right. Exactly. And I think some of it, too, at least for me, is like almost, and 
I don't want to put words in my family member's mouth, but I, I wonder at times if this is how they feel is like, she's had these experiences and yeah. I didn't know that. Like right. I didn't notice that. And so almost this like subconscious guilt yeah. about the things that I've had to experience in my own family. Right. Like I remember telling my mom for the first time that like there had been family members that have said very problematic things to me. And she was like, why did you never tell me? Mm. And I was like, because it's always been, you're just Lexi. It doesn't matter. Right. And it's like, that's no, yeah. like it, obviously I'm not going to tell you then because the experience is just going to become right. invalidated. And so I think some of it at times can be this like, oh, this person that I love unconditionally is experiencing these things and I don't even notice. Right. Like I am so in my own world and I am so entrenched in my own whiteness that I can't conceptualize that this person is having this experience and right. I've raised them and taken care of them and haven't noticed those things. Right. Yeah. No, I think my mom has that a lot that like internalized white guilt. Yeah. And I love that woman to death because she has definitely come a lot farther than she used to be. So I would just like to commend that. Um, but you can definitely tell that like when I start talking about these things, there's a, there's a level of uncomfortness to mm -hmm. her, which is interesting to me because my mom's the only white person in our household because all of her kids are, are biracial <laughs> and her husband's black. So like, right. you're the minority in this household. <laughs> but uh, when I bring up these things, you can, I can tell that she's like physically uncomfortable. Right. And when I start talking about um, like real things, like past my experience, right? Like about uh, the murder of black children and police brutality and all of these things. Right. She gets sad, yeah. which rightfully so. We all get sad, right? But I think the thing that annoys me or that really grinds my gears is she'll get sad, she'll feel guilty, and then she'll say to me, I don't want to talk about this. I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. Love that for you, Heather. Way to use your words. But that's a privilege. That's yep. a white privilege to be able to remove yourself from the conversation because you're uncomfortable. Yep. I remember I was talking to, over the summertime before we came to grad school. I remember I was talking to her and I'll have to like figure out what this ch child's name is and put it in our bio. But um, that case about the kid who was found wrapped up in the wrestling mat in yeah. his school. I was talking about that and like me as a black person seeing another black child be killed and no one care about it really made... I was angry and I was sad yeah. and... I'm telling my mom about it and she's like, well, I don't want to hear about this. And I'm like, that sucks, mom, because my, this is literally my whole experience. Like it might not be a, as aggressive as you having to find your child dead and wrapped up in a mat, but like, these are still experiences of mine and people who look like me. Right. And the fact that you have the privilege to remove yourself from this conversation invalidates my experience. Yep. And then I had to have the hard conversation with all my family and just letting them know that like, in your head, you might not think you're racist. And even if you're not saying racist things, your silence is complicit. Yep. And so when there are racist things happening, sexist, homophobic things happening, and you stay quiet because you're uncomfortable, you then are inherently all of those things because yep. your silence is complicit. Yeah. I think that's the hard one to like get my white family to understand is that inherently you are racist and that's not your fault. Right. I think I'm you not, take it personally. Yeah. I'm not <laughs> like one, maybe question why you're taking it personally. Yes. Because like when people 
I, I don't know. Like there's something about, for example, like this is a very small example, but like when people make generalizations about Tauruses, okay, I'm a Taurus and some of them are not nice things. No, they're not. I'm not going to take that to heart if it's something that doesn't apply to me. Oh, you better than me. Because when people would be talking about Pisces, I'd be like, uh-uh. Shut <laughs> up. But I think it's because I know it applies to me, and so it hurts a little more. Right. Oh, if it applies to me. But that's my point, right? Like, yeah. if it does apply to me, my feelings are going to be hurt. But right. if it doesn't apply to you, why yes. are your feelings hurt? Mm-hmm. So then maybe you need to address yeah. that maybe there is something going on. Yeah. No one, like, and I think that's the thing. is like, I am not inherently mad at white people mm-hmm. for having white privilege. Right. It, it is is twenty twenty one. It is not they they were not here, figuratively depending yes. on your beliefs. But you know, whatever they weren't here, right? So that, however, so right. them having white privilege is not inherently their fault. Right. However, them choosing not to address whiteness and address the effects of racism yeah. and the long term effects of slavery and colonization and termination and relocation and, and all of these things yeah now that's your fault yeah i agree and so how like i i don't know how entirely to get them to understand that but i think going back to when you're talking about like this is the work that we do nobody asks me anymore no. like like so i went into college as like biochem pre-med. Mm-hmm. That's super interesting. Everybody wants Everyone to know what that. you're learning and they have no clue what you're talking about. Right. They still wouldn't have any clue what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. But now that all the work I do is EDI work and I got my undergrad degree in sociology, which already, like social sciences are already, people are iffy about them, but then yeah. sociology is even, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> now. Um, and so now nobody asks me. Yeah. And so the things that I love the most... Mm-hmm. I don't get to share with the people I love the most. Right. And that sucks. And it makes the holidays really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure my family just thinks I'm an event planner. With like, (laughs) which like, on the basis level, yes. I guess. But like, it's so much bigger than that. Like I'm, I'm doing event planning around diversity, equity, and inclusion work. Like that, that's the key foundation to why I love quote-unquote event planning so much right and so I think that's that's the hardest thing but I think I think the reason they have such a hard time talking about it outside of them feeling personally attacked right is like they don't experience it yeah so they don't think that it's their responsibility to then discuss yep. like things like I was talking to my little sister and my mom and we we're having a conversation around like uh sexuality and all of that and we were talking about um, being bisexual. Mm-hmm. And my mom had like made the comment of, um, what did she say? Oh, she was like, I can understand when someone is gay. Like when they like just one gender, right? She's like, I can understand that. But I cannot understand people liking multiple genders. Like it, it was very that mu- very much that like sexualization of bisexual people. Yeah. And she had like made a comment of like, either them being confused or something like that or, or, or something around that manner. And I, I had basically told her, I was like, I don't think as heterosexual cisgender people, we have the place or the right yeah. to question someone else's experience. Right. Like, that's just not, mm. No. Shall we engage in the conversation? Of course. If you have questions, let's do it. But like, right. to invalidate somebody else's experience because you don't experience it, 
simply because you don't understand it is not the correct manner to approach right. something. That and like my little sister was just talking about her sexual experience and my mom had like said to her, I don't think you you can define that unless you've had a sexual experience. And I'm like, no. Like, we, mom, you need people, to... <laughs> people know they're straight long before they have sex. That's what I'm saying. Like, I, feel, I just feel as though like there needs to be some... I don't know, like some proactiveness about discovering topics or experiences that you just might not come in contact with. Right. Like my little sister Liara has, you know, books about black women and feminist books and all of these things. And I'm like telling my mom, like, oh, like you should incorporate some like LGBTQ or like some trans books or like all of these things. And she was just like, well, like, I think that's important, but I just don't think it's my place. She'll learn about that when she gets to school. No, she won't. No, not in she, school. <laughs> no, she won't. And then she'll go into school having very homophobic ideas about these people because she's never been exposed to them. Right. And it's just the idea that like that's not your problem or that's not your right. place is something that's really hard for me to digest. Like for me, like I will say that I very center my understanding in my work in race, right? right. Like that's something that I know, so that's where my passion is. But it does not mean I'm afraid. Or remove myself from conversations that I don't quite understand, right? right? Like, you know, the conversation around religion or the conversation around, you know, LGBTQ or the conversation around all of these other things that, like, I don't personally experience, I still find as though it is it is my responsibility to be well-educated right. on it. Because you come into contact with these people all the time. And so, like, why do you not care? <laughs> like, like, if your understanding is that you want to be good people in the world, why are you not educating right. yourself on everyone else's experience? Makes right. no sense to me. And I think how how do we encourage them to reframe not having that experience right. as like something to be grateful for? Right. Like, <laughs> how are you not grateful that you don't have to walk through the world that way? Because right. when people are having these experiences, whether it be racism or sexism or xenophobia or right. Islamophobia or transphobia, whatever it is. That's not a choice for them. Right. That's who they are. That's mm-hmm. part of their identity. It's not entirely who they are, right? We're all like multi-layered, multi- yeah, multi-layered people. people, but it is part of who they are. Right. And for most of those identities, it is the first thing that people see. Yeah. And so how can you not at least be a little grateful right. that you don't have to have that experience. And so then be like, I'm going to educate myself and know what I can do mm-hmm. to be better and to better support people who have to have these experiences right. so that maybe down the line, these experiences don't happen. Right. I, I don't quite understand that. <laughs> um, I remember like I got super, something I have a hard time with is like, not getting really upset. Uh. Um, and I think it's it, specifically when it's talking about like experiences that I have, right. right? Like to have someone invalidate an experience that I have is like really difficult. Yes. So I remember like talking to, um, and we'll put, I'll put a trigger warning in the description, but like I remember talking to my stepdad and like, I think my grandpa was there too about sexual assault mm. and like sexual st- assault statistics. Right. And they were like, there's no way that they're that high. Okay. <laughs> you know, this, there's no way they're that high. Like sure, 50%, but there's no way. And I, I lost it yeah. because 
I had never shared with my family my experience with that. And so then before even wanting to tell them to have that experience invalidated. And I think, you know, for whoever's listening, that's why it's important really, truly to monitor what you're saying because you don't know what your family members have experienced. Mm -hmm. And so I never want to tell them. Right. I probably never will. And they won't listen to this podcast. So, (laughs) you know, like that is, it sucks and it's hard. And it's like, well, I'm never going to talk to you about this now. And, you know, it's like losing that like trust. And I think especially as you get older and you become an adult and you're like more separated from your family, it's just like those little things over time where you're like, like those are the things that make us only go home for the holidays and not go home any other time of year. Right. So like how to like, monitor that or like bring it up is like I don't have an answer but like it sucks and it's hard yeah I think I think when I was first engaging in this type of work and having to go home and explain this to my family I think it was it was always first asking myself do I have the energy for this right and then following up the question is are they going to to absorb the information in a way in which is is educational right? right like i'm not gonna have a conversation with a family member that i know is going to be combative that's just not what i'm gonna do right because it's not gonna help either one of us it'll probably make our relationship 10 times worse right. and i'm gonna walk away drained and i don't have the capacity to do that um and so when i was first engaging in it that was literally my whole entire approach to things and i would i hate to say that like I didn't have conversations with my family back then because I always did not have the energy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's hard to do it all the time at school and work and then go home and do it. Yes. I, but now I think I've become a little more rebellious. Yes. (laughs) And my approach now is if I have to walk through the world uncomfortable as my family member. So do you. So do you. Right. I, you do not get to be ignorant or complicit anymore. Like you, I'm now almost 25 years old. You have a whole family full of diverse individuals. It is 2021, almost 2022. If I have to wake up, walk out of, outside of my door and experience all these shitty ass things because of people who look like you, you're going to be uncomfortable too. And that's yeah. just what it is. Like if it, if, it re, if it results in us not having a relationship, I'm fine with that. Because to me, family isn't simply about blood or DNA. It's about choosing people to be yeah. your family. And so... If me bringing up my experiences makes you so angry that you don't want to talk to me, you don't need to be in my circle anyways. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Let's let's normalize cutting family out of our lives if that's yes. what it takes to be at peace. Just because I was born into this family does not mean I have to continue to participate no. in this family if it's not good for me. I'm grown now, right. okay? I don't have to do that. I don't have to see people I don't want to see. No. I don't have to hug people I don't want to hug. No. I don't have to be around you. Yeah. So it's it's definitely, it's hard. So I think, right, so we're talking a lot about, like, in the context of, like, talking to our white families about yes. this. The approach at least in my experience is different yes when i'm talking to these things talking about these things with elders in the black community Mm, you might you you might have better experiences because i I don't have a working relationship with many of my black family Mm -hmm. members simply because i don't have a working relationship with my sperm donor 
But uh, so you might have a little more understanding of black family. <laughs> I can definitely understand like black people in general. Like you know, yeah. doing the work for so long, you yeah. encounter many black elders who are like, "Girl, what did you talk about?" <laughs> right, right. I think the for me like the biggest thing that I experience as a queer person mm. is homophobia in uh, the black community. Let's speak on it. <laughs> um, so um, yeah, I think. I, so I'm not out to, like, most of my family in for two reasons. Right. One, I don't feel like I need to entirely. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm love who I love and I'm going to show up with them. And if you don't like them, then we'll fight. It's that simple. Yeah. I'm not going to do this with you. Like, it's my life. They're my choices. Um, however, the people, the majority of my family, it's not going to be an issue like right. it doesn't matter who I bring home they're gonna be like that person makes you happy cool that yeah. that's fine um now to a fault with a lot of like again not recognizing the experiences of other people right um, but it's a little different with my black family yeah um you know I am pretty sure that like my siblings won't care but I really struggle specifically with my granny bless oh. her heart I love that woman more than anything mm-hmm. and that will never change I just know that her faith is everything to her. Yeah. And we've we've had the conversation many times about like why gay people shouldn't be able to get married uh. and things like that. And I'm just like, it's hard for me because it's like, how do I challenge you saying my Bible tells me no? Right. Without me invalidating your religion, because I'm not trying to do that. No. Now I'm not Christian myself, so that's a whole other thing. <laughs> My granny did find that out, Jeez. and we haven't talked about it. I don't know how she feels about it. Whatever. But like, how do I be like? That's not cool. What if I, you know, bring home someone who's not mm. like a cishet six foot tall black dude like you would approve of? Mm-hmm. What am I supposed to do? Because I'd want you in my life, right. but like, how do I tell you this without invalidating your religion? Well, you're also invalidating my identity. Right. I don't think you can. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I like, I think one, just saying that like, that's not an experience that I have. And so I don't have the best answer for it. But I, I think, I think, I don't know. I think it, it is just a basis of, of respect. I think there's a lack of respect, right? Like. If you, if, if you and your lifestyle don't believe in these things, right? Like if you are just like, you know, my Bible tells me blank, the blank, the blank. Cool. You can keep that in your Bible. (laughs) But, but that still does not give you the right to condemn the way in which I live my lifestyle, nor does it give you the right to not give me respect or give me love. You know what I mean? Like I would expect you to then when I bring around my significant other who is not the cookie cutter idea of what you think love should be like. I need you to act like everything is perfectly okay. Exactly. Because it is perfectly okay. Like, I I really don't understand why people don't get the idea that, like, you can live your life a specific way, and that's fine, but do not push that onto other people. Right. It just does not make sense to me. But I think when you're bringing up just, like, the black community, um, one, I I brought up my black family earlier. My TT listens to this. So, hey, TT. Um, (laughs) Hi, TT. Love her to death. She's the one family member on my black side that I keep a relationship with her, and I absolutely love her. But I think just speaking about the black community in general, it's very interesting to me how, as black people, we understand oppression, right? Like, we understand oppression. We understand the disadvantages we've been given in this world. 
we understand racism, right? Yeah. Twofold. Understanding all of that, we still then choose to oppress other people. Oh, yeah. I.e. sexuality. I.e. gender. But then two, we are very critical in the ways in which we fight against racism. Oh, as yeah. if there is this like template of how to do the work. Like I don't know, I cannot tell you how many times I've come across black people or black elders who looks at the work that we do as a generation and is like, why are they so radical? Why are they so disrespectful? Why are they so blank? We learned it from y'all. Come on in, because y'all was out here boycotting and, and, and riding in the front of the bus and working through tear gas and like, we're radical? Babe, no. <laughs> we learned it from y'all. What are you talking about? <laughs> that or how many times I've had conversations with individuals who are my age, who maybe have not been exposed in the way that I've been exposed, but I'll have these conversations about the things in which we're now discussing. And it, you just get this blanket stare. Yeah. And I'm like, babe, I'm... Do you not experience this? Like, and there's no way you don't experience this. No, because when there, when there are black young people who are like, I've never experienced racism in my entire life. I'm like, one of two things has happened. Okay, either you grew up entirely in a black community and just have never seen a white person before. Right. Um, and all the police are black and everyone is just brown. And then that's... Everybody brown. I don't know where that is, so I'm surprised. Or two... You absolutely have experienced a ton of microaggressive racism yes. that you don't conceptualize that way. Yes. Now, if it didn't hurt your feelings, that's your decision. Okay. Like, they're your feelings and emotions, that's fine. But you don't get to invalidate the experiences no. of other black people because it doesn't offend you right. when your white friends make racist jokes. No, and I'm so tired of black people saying, can we, why are we talking about it? Can we just, like, we've spent all of these generations harping on racism and oppression, can we just let it go and like move on as a No, people? we cannot. No, because maybe it was never fixed. <laughs> it's never going to stop. No, that or like, and my whole thing is like, even if you've never experienced racism, which I don't believe is a real thing, because there is such deep-rooted anti-blackness in our community Oof. that you, yes. just, you we've all experienced it. So even if a white person hasn't walked up to you, spit on you, and called you the N-word, you're still experiencing anti-blackness on a level. Yeah. And I think what the issue is, is that like, as a nation and as a people, we are not educated on what racism actually is. Correct. Because a lot of people will be like, well, this black person said something about me being a white person, they're a racist. No, babe. <laughs> They literally can't be. They're prejudiced. Yes. And they're probably a hateful person. They're prejudiced and hateful. That's fine. But like racism is so much bigger than me saying negative things about you because mm -hmm. of your race. It is a institutionalized and systemized oppression afforded to people who have power. Black people and people of color do not have power in, the, in this society. No. We don't. Therefore, we cannot be racist. And I just don't, <laughs> I don't think people really understand that because there are so many and I think this is why it's so hard to do the work is because as a community, we are so divided. Yeah. So divided because people will be like, you're talking about all of this, all of this quote unquote racism, but what about racism in the black community? What about racism in Asian community? That's not racism, babe. And so I just feel like there's just a lack of education and understanding yeah. that makes this work 10 times harder and then in turn makes conversations with our family 10 times yes. harder. Because they, there's no way you can 
conceptualize the idea of racism in, in a one-on-one conversation. No. It takes years of education. I barely get it. <laughs> and I've been studying this for like six years. Do you know how many times somebody has talked about something and I'm like, damn, that's racism too? I'm over it. Like, <laughs> right? Like, it is, it's so huge. Yes. And I think it's hard too to, and I think, you know, you brought this up a little bit right, right in the beginning. How do we have these conversations without sounding elitist? Because the only language that I have to describe this, everything that we're experiencing and racism and homophobia and sexism and and the patriarchy and misogyny, all of the language that I have to describe that is academic language. I could give you 400 pages of sources for you to read. (laughs) But that's not helpful. No. So how do... Like, how to translate the knowledge that we have, the academic knowledge that we have, the way that we conceptualize these things. Because I think when I see or think of racism, for example, I it's, it's like I have this giant picture map in my mind <laughs> of, like, all of our social institutions and how they're connected and, like, little, like the little light-up things with points in history. And it's like this whole giant thing that I yep. could teach 16 years of classes on and you'd leave still not knowing what the hell is going on. Mm -hmm. How the hell do I put that into a conversation at the dinner table over ham? You can't. (laughs) (laughs) Like you can't. And then we just sound elitist. We sound like, oh, you went to college and they brainwashed you and now you're just a like liberal snowflake, blah, blah, blah. No, I just know how the world works a little bit more now. And my rose-colored glasses are gone, which sometimes I feel sad about. Me too. Sometimes I also crave ignorance yep. when I'm just tired. <laughs> but like, yeah, I don't... Elitism. I really... Sounding elitist makes me very nervous and it sucks. I think... And as we're having this conversation, I really just think that having discussions around these types of topics really is all just about trial and error. Yeah, And I think at the base level, you and the other person you're having a conversation with need to come in, come in with a level of respect yeah. and a level of boundaries. You need to know when to walk away, both for the relationship of you and that person, but for your own emotional well-being. Like This yeah. work is really hard because as you're talking, I'm like... I don't know how to have these conversations. Me either. I'm 25. I still don't know I how to I thought we would have some answers in the podcast, no, but I have none. <laughs> because not only am I talking about experiences these people do not have. Right. About a, a topic that is so complex, it's hard to wrap around your mind around. Without sounding elitist, without right. sounding political. It's I impossible. It. <laughs> it is actually impossible. That's it, why I feel like it's trial and error. It really is just trial and error. And we're also young. So at least for me, the first thing that I'm told by somebody in my family is that I just haven't experienced enough life to understand. So you're Mm -hmm. telling me I'm going to get racist again? No. Well, not again. It doesn't really go away. But like, (laughs) you know, like, you know, I'm going to, I don't understand. Mm -hmm. I'm, what do you mean I haven't experienced enough life to know that racism is real i'm confused (laughs) how does that make any sense at all i don't know i think i think the best way at least the approach that i've done is and i 
hate to say it, but like Pavlofing my family. <laughs> and I hate to say it. And for all of our listeners, I have a background in psych, so <laughs> I tend to use it a lot. <laughs> but I Pavlof my family. Like when they say things that are incorrect or socially wrong, just looking at them being like, that's not okay. Don't say that. Or um, correcting them when they say racist things of like, well, actually, that's not correct, yada, yada, yada. Because it happens, it, I think what, what the issue is, microaggressions happen so very often that when unchecked, it teaches people that they can do, do those things, yeah. right? Like, for instance, and I love my mother because she's very receptive to most, most of the things in which I talk about. But growing up, my mom used to say the R word. Ooh. When it comes to like mental health yeah. and things, she'd be like, "Oh, that's so blanketed word." Or she would use the word "gay" as like in a negative connotation. Yeah, like, like oh, that's that. so. Yes. Yeah, and so like after well, not after college, during college, when she would say those things, I'd be like, "Mom, that's not ni- that's not a nice thing to say. That's not a nice thing to say." And I would just continue to tell her that, yeah. "Mom, that's not okay. Mom, that's not okay." And we've gotten to a point where she doesn't say those things anymore. Like, it'll slip out once in a while, and I'll be like, Mom. And she'll be like, I know, I know, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and so, like, yeah. for me, pavloffing my family, and I know it sounds awful, but pavloffing my family really helped me at least get rid of some of those little microaggressions that have happened throughout the accumulation of my life. <clears throat> I, I have done that from time to time. Yeah. And sometimes it works, sometimes it just pisses them off. You gotta do it with somebody who's receptive. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it just, it just pisses them off. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. I think it's, you know, a, a multitude of things. The conversations are always going to suck. Yeah. Choosing your battles. Yeah. Like you can still be a good social justice focused oriented person. Yeah. Without battling everything. Right. Especially as people with minoritized identities, because then... Mm-hmm. Especially to our white families. Like, that's then, again, putting the pressure on us to shoulder the burden of educating them. (laughs) And so, it's like, you know, choose your battles. Hopefully, everyone comes in with with respect. Um, If you're not feeling respected, you can leave. Like, just be like, I'm not having this conversation anymore. (laughs) You know, I... It's going to be... It's tough. I can definitely see myself, like... Every break, I'm spending like less and less days mm. at home. Yeah, and I love I love my family dearly. Let's make that clear. If any of my family does end up listening to this, I would like to make very clear that I love y'all dearly. But like sometimes my energy just can't take it. No. Like I need to be in my own apartment, in my own space, with my own things. I have created positive energy here. I don't. When I come home, I can watch some stupid TV show that doesn't talk about these things and like although it's there i can like take a break i i feel like i can't do that at home Mm -hmm. um (laughs) i really hope that i'm sorry that i feel like we didn't give our listeners any actual tangible (laughs) answers but i hope that um one at least people can avoid like knock down drag out arguments Um, and to prioritize your energy at the end of the day, you know, the family that we're choosing to see, Mm -hmm. we love, we want to spend time with them and we want to enjoy that time. So if that means going home and not having a single one of these conversations, that is okay. And you don't have to feel bad about that. 
enjoy your time. We don't know how much of it we have. Mm -hmm. So go home and see your aunties and your uncles and your grannies and your grandpas and your moms and your dads and whoever else is in your life. Right. And if you don't feel like having these conversations, if you feel like just letting that microaggression slide, Mm -hmm. as long as it's not really truly becoming a burden on you to do that. Right. I think it's okay to take those breaks sometimes. Mm-hmm. We can't always fight everything all the time. Girl, no. I'm already burnt out and I still be choosing my <laughs> <laughs> No, but I think I think for our family who listens, understanding that like we love you guys enough to have these conversations. Right. And for those of you who are listening and you come in contact in a situation where somebody else is coming to you about their experiences and you don't quite understand, understanding that one, they love you enough to share this information because sharing our our experiences is not an easy thing. And so they look at you as a trusted person and just having an open mind and an open heart. And the first thing you should do before opening your mouth is think to yourself, how is how how am I interpreting this? Yeah. And is what I'm about to say beneficial to the to right. the person? Because my little sister has conversations with all, me all the time. I'm experiences that I do not understand. And the first thing that I always do when I open my mouth is validate her experiences yep. because I don't experience them, and so it is not my place to invalidate those things. Right. But then also understanding that like to build a relationship with people to where you both are comfortable asking questions and answering them right when i have conversations with people and i don't understand what they're saying to me based on their experience i follow up with a question and i follow up with it by saying i i would like to have more information and i don't mean to sound disrespectful and so if i sound disrespectful let me know you know what i mean it's all about having it's all about being humble having humility and understanding that like we all are supposed to love each other yeah and never should there be a time where having a conversation around these topics should result in being disrespected Correct. or having a blowout. Correct. It just isn't necessary for either one person. And so... Oh. Intent versus impact, people. Intent <laughs> yes. versus impact. You might yes. intend to not say anything harmful, but that doesn't mean nope. that that was the impact. So just think through your words before you say them. And frankly... <laughs> If you want to be racist and homophobic and transphobic and xenophobic and misogynistic and every other ism in the book, can you just leave it at home? You don't have to bring it to the dinner table. You better than me because I was about to say don't. (laughs) Just don't do anything with it. Well, here's the thing. Ideally, yes. Yes. But if for some reason someone's listening to our podcast who is any, who is outwardly we all have some of those things depending on our identities but if you are outwardly actively purposely doing those things which you're probably not listening to our podcast but if for some reason you are (laughs) hello can you hi i guess can you just leave it at home you don't need to bring it to the holiday table you don't need to do that don't put that onto your family members no just just chill okay agreed agreed do it at home or you know (laughs) not at all ideally but yeah, so that is just us talking about our experiences. Uh, maybe coming to the conclusion, <laughs> question mark. I think we had a little bit of advice. <laughs> uh, but if you've had these hard conversations or you've had, you know, these types of experiences, make sure you answer our little question below. Tell us how you're feeling. 
tell us your experiences. Yeah, we want to hear them. If you have any advice for the listeners, share it. Because obviously me and Lexi don't know what the hell we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any last words, Bestie? You know, I hope that no matter what folks celebrate, if it's anything at all, whether you're celebrating with friends, family, or yourself and your plant, um, who I hope that, you know, you get some rest in these last couple weeks of 2021. Wow. It's almost gone. Um, we're going to wake up and it's going to be 2022. I'm setting no expectations for 2022 because, frankly... I can't anymore. No. I have no clue what to expect. Nope, me neither. So I hope everyone has a restful last few weeks of the year, whatever you do with them. And we'll, you'll hear us on the next one. Yeah. Thank you for listening to our special episode. Thank you. <laughs>